Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. I am here with Kevin Maney. I'm saying that right. Am I uh, on the Maney? Absolutely. And Kevin, I'm excited to see some, uh, I know you've written a lot of great books. We're going to get into all that, but why do you have so many guitars in your background? <laughs> I can't, uh, hang on, I'm going to show you something. Just so you'll see we're kindred spirits. Oh, there you go. Yeah, this is custom. Uh, <laughs> Very nice. Out of the Gibson shop, Gibson custom shop, but I got a banjo, a master tone banjo hanging on the next to it. But anyway. Excellent. So have you been playing uh, all your life? Yeah, I've been playing since I was a kid, some instrument or other. And uh, later in life, actually in my 40s, I ended up really getting into songwriting. And I've been in a couple of bands that have both of them blasted for a decade or more that were really interested in just doing original material, which is not easy to find. Right. So we, have a, we have a band in New York that plays, regularly plays clubs around here. We're playing a lot of songs I write. We're playing some, some covers and things like that. But that's... I mean, I noticed you've got a lot of art stuff there. You, you know, yeah. needing that sort of right. form of expression, that yeah. other way of expression is wonderful to have. And I, that's my other way of expressing myself is through songs. Well, once we get some uh, foundational things down, let us I'd love to talk about that because I think it adds a lot, especially where you, rather than just plunk around the house, you put a band together and you go out and get in front of people and you, it, you're taking it to another level and it is part of having some fun, but also you learn stuff. That right. uh, relates and informs everything else you found to be true in your life. So, how did you start off, Kevin? I mean, you've written <laughs> any bestsellers. We're going to get into that. Describe yourself. What What are you most proud of as far as your accomplishments that you would like? You know, when you you look back on it, the things that you felt the greatest about. Wow. Okay. Well, in a very broad way, what I've done throughout my career is told stories about the technology industry and about what technology is uh, doing to society and how we're, it's changing our lives. And whether it was columns that I wrote for USA Today for a long time, 20 plus years, or magazine stories or the books that I've written, or for that matter, I, I, some of the songs that I've written have actually right. gone down that path. And then now in the later part of my career is working with startup companies help them understand how to tell their stories and actually help them understand what their stories even are, because a lot of them don't know that. And seeing how much it helps them and helps the public understand what technology is all about, the players in it, how things work. That's been the sort of the high line of my whole career is that's what it's all been about. And the fact that I've had an impact of some sort doing that has been really satisfying. Yeah. And you've got I mean, just one of your books, over 150,000 copies that we know of, the uh, Play Bigger. Right. How Pirates, Dreamers, and Innovators Create and Dominate Markets. Is that the most recent one or? No, I've published three books since. Oh, three books since. <laughs> but let's talk about that one for a second. Because, yeah, let's uh, do it. Let's do it. Because Play Bigger changed my life more than a lot of things that have happened in my career. So first of all, just the, the, on the outcome side is, that by far the best-selling book. In fact, now we've put together that there are probably about a 250,000 copies sold around the world. By far the best-selling book I've ever been a part of. But then Play Bigger proposed this concept that we called category design. 
And now that has turned into a strategic advisory business, startups, venture capitalists, whatever, read the book, they call us up and say, please help us do what you wrote about because it really works. I mean, I'm a writer. Like when yeah. I put this stuff down in favor, like, I bet it surprises anybody that the stuff actually works and changes yeah. you know, the way companies think about themselves. And now this whole thing has become, it's become a movement. There are like hundreds of people who describe their jobs as category designers based on what we wrote about. And in fact, just in the last couple of weeks, this new community launched called Category Thinkers. It has like 400 members of people who just wow. all believe in this stuff. So it's the impact of this thing has been phenomenal beyond anything that I've ever been a part of. Now, did you create that term category design? We did. Yeah. Yeah. So a little background story of the book yeah. was I had, by that point, I'd written, I don't know, four or five books probably and been a technology writer for ages. What does that mean, a technology writer? Yeah, sure. Let's go way back for a second. Uh, I started, so my, I grew up who, in Binghamton. Where are you from? Where were you? I, well, you say, I grew up in Binghamton, New York. Okay. A small uh, town, Binghamton, New York. So Binghamton, New York happens to be essentially the place where IBM started. There's a little town called Endicott right next door. And that's where the heart and soul of IBM was up until the, like the 90s. So I grew up in a town where IBM was the dominant force. When I got out of, I wanted to write, be a writer. I wanted to be a journalist. So I got out of college. I got offered a job at the local newspaper. And one of the openings they had was a business reporter. And I wasn't particularly trained in technology or business. It was all in journalism, but I thought that was interesting. Business reporter, you start writing about technology. And I got very lucky because this was like the mid to late 80s, right about the time that personal computers took off, people started becoming very interested in technology. And so I just stuck with it and rode that wave, ended up at USA Today writing regular weekly column about technology and the industry and the players in it. What would a typical week at USA Today writing about technology would it be whatever came up with the editor suggested to you? Were you, you know, and all these things, you know, we talked yeah, yeah. early on songwriting, painting, whatever. You always have a thousand ideas that you haven't got to yet. Were you coming up and just uh, going through reading the news, talking to people, getting ideas for articles and kind of back keeping track and just getting to them as you uh, could knock them out? Or was the editor throwing them at you? Or no, no, it was generated by me mostly. I spend a lot of time, you're talking about having solid advice. And one of those pieces of advice is I networked like crazy. Like I wanted to meet everybody, talk to people. I talked to everybody. And it wasn't necessarily like I'm talking to you for a purpose because I have an interview. I just wanted to hear what people were working on, their ideas, what they were thinking. And I would so I'd Was that an extension of why you wanted to write? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Natural, absolutely. One of the big things that I heard early on from my cousin that kind of has kept me moving is follow your natural curiosity. And it sounds like you have followed a trail that has been motivated by your curiosity about maybe was triggered to the technology side growing up in a town where you had IBM, you know, kind of dominating everybody's thinking and the air you breathe and probably right. on the, at least one or two stories on the news every night. And so maybe because you to lean over to that subject, but your natural curiosity about the people and the stories behind the scenes, rather than getting caught up in the nuts and bolts, sounds like that's where your interest always was really kind of started and pursued. No, absolutely. And in fact, one of the great things about journalism is it's a free pass to ask anybody anything you want to ask them, right? Yeah. <laughs> and right. so, and when you work for a high 
profile organization like USA Today, everybody wants to talk to you anyway, because they know it's going to reach millions of people. So that led to me, I mean, everybody you can name that's been a big player in technology for the last 30 years, I've interviewed, talked to, had relationships with. Yeah. And so that's actually been a very exciting part of what I've been doing. Actually, just to a quick point is that I had so many stories about like, just to tell, I have two grown kids. And uh, my daughter, my oldest, also got into journalism. She works for a magazine in the UK. And so at one point about a year ago or so, she said, she said, you should write some of these down. So like, even just for me, like I want to have them. And so I ended up pulling some of my old files. I've, I've saved every clip of every story I ever wrote. Really? So I started pulling out some of my old files from the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, whatever, and started a Substack newsletter where each week I write, like I pull some old story out about an interview with Bill um, Gates or an interview, you know, or something like that yeah. and write about my what was going on at that time and try to draw some lessons out about that from that people could learn today. Yeah. That's been actually great fun. It's like both getting a chance to sort of reminisce, but also like put it in the context of what's going on now. Right. Because the principles don't change, you know, the fundamentals of principles, the strategy. If you're a chess grandmaster now, you're probably following a lot of time-tested strategies that have always been in there. I'm talking out of school because I don't know anything about high level. Neither <laughs> do I, so you could be saying anything. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, like songwriting, you know, all of these things. The fundamentals seem to stay the same. It's a matter how you can combine them and put them out there in the public. And so... Uh, having that down, that's probably like buried treasure for you to get back in there. You probably, I'll tell you one thing you probably found. You probably found you were smarter back then than you realized you were at the time because of the things you wrote down and you didn't even really understood what you were writing at the time. If you had that experience? I had the other, some of that. Yeah, I was like, oh, wow, how did I, how did I go? How did I do that? <laughs> right. And so revisiting that, a great, what a great thing to do. But the thing that, is so helpful is to, I don't know if you have experienced this, but people will, you'll make a point, you'll tell a story and there'll be a big point in there and it'll go right over most people's heads. (laughs) And you'll, (laughs) you know, because you're familiar with it, you know, what's behind it all. You'll think, man, this is going to be bullseye, but it'll, most of the time it goes right over their head. And so it really is helpful. I found it's really helpful to help go through that stuff again. Like you said, pull out the truths or pull out the fundamentals from some of these old articles, you know, telling the stories, but help people understand, here's how you, because it's one thing to know a fundamental, it's another thing how to, how to apply it. And right. people get lots, that's the great thing about stories that you can hear all of the unlimited ways people have used these fundamentals to accomplish things and that maybe they never thought about before. And so that's what's so good about writing these things, publicizing, explaining, and backing it up with a uh, interesting story kind of keeps people engaged so they can stay with you long enough to get the point. So how do you unravel these, you know, what's in your mind when you're out? Because obviously you hit a nerve with the way you wrote the book. Let's just stay with the uh, bigger. bigger book. I've got other questions about that USA Today experience, but what was your intent? How did you picture it in your mind that you were going to be communicating these concepts that are really revolutionary type concepts when people read it and then they want to change their company, change themselves, and then it turned into them calling you up and say, help us do it. 
But uh, what was in your mind? Because you obviously had a good idea about how to communicate that stuff. Well, here's what happened. So, so I wrote it, as you can see, in the book cover is with three other guys. All three of them had been technology company founders or CEOs or investors in some ways. Yeah. And, and then they had later in their careers started advising startups. And basically, they had a few concepts. One of the basic ones, and I'd known a couple of these guys for a long time, and we were talking about this over dinner one night. And by this point in time, too, I had been writing about tech for ages, and I knew like all, you know, I knew the trends, I knew what things were, how things were working. So they had this one observation that was that in most markets today, it's always been true to some extent, but it's particularly now in digital markets like SaaS software, for instance, or apps and that can yeah. you know, on the web that almost always it's a winner-take-all market category. You get an Uber that takes like the 75% of the share of the ride-sharing on-demand transportation category, Lyft taking 20% and a bunch of hangers-on with a little bit else. And that plays itself out over and over. In fact, there's been research by economists that have showed that this is the case. And so then if you actually think about that for a second, logically, you think, well, if you're running a company or starting a company, why wouldn't you want to do everything in your power to be the one that wins the market category, if the one who wins the market category is going to take 75% of the economics of the category. Correct. So then if that's the case, can we study companies that have done this and look at you know other research that others have done and try to reverse engineer how to do that? How do you see a new market category in the first place? Once you see it, how do you set its rules and claim it so that people think that you're the one that's going to own it? And how do you roll that out to the market so that people start to believe you're going to be the winner of this category and really kind of carry that momentum and right. throughout the years. So the process of writing the book was actually a process of really thinking all that through and kind of doing this reverse engineering of all this. And there was no phrase called category design at that time, but there was actually one day that the four of us were we always got together at one of the author's houses in Santa Cruz and spent a few days like, you know, just hammering out ideas once a month. And we were just talking this through about halfway through the book, but we were like, what is this thing called that we're writing about? And what Al Ramadan, who's one of the co-authors, had a long stint at the top of Macromedia. And Macromedia had created this idea called experience design, which since has become a thing. Like there's, you know, thousands of experienced designers out there in the technology world. And he was talking about, Al was sitting there going like, this sounds like, it feels a lot like a like a discipline, like experience design was when we created yeah. it back then. And I don't know, I can't even remember. They credit me with piping up and saying, but it's about categories. It's category design. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's like, yes, that's it. So we gave it a name, category yeah. design. And it really is, it's about how to identify and then define and hopefully win a market category over time. And that's what the book is about. And it's kind of a playbook for doing that. So the whole process of talking all this through is how we kind of came to all these concepts. And then I'm the writer of the group. So I was the one who was going home after these big discussions, yeah. putting it down on. on you, had to do, you had to go to work after the great uh, right. session. Yeah. And whatever it was, 12, 14 months later, we, we had a book. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whiteallonwinning.com. Thanks for listening.